0: What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods, and we are—we have a a Friday night matchup, man, I'm so excited for. Listen, I know a lot of people get off at 5 p.m. Central on Friday, go straight to your nearest sports bar, go straight to the house because you're going to want to catch this one. We got the number 10 North Carolina Tar Heels headed into Blacksburg, one of the most legendary environments at night perfect environment for an upset with the Virginia Tech Hokies five and a half point favorites right now are the Tar Heels like I said 5 p.m central time live on ESPN and I think this matchup has the ability to largely impact the ACC race. I mean, you look at the Tar Heels and the Hokies. You look at the Tar Heels with the strong momentum that they earned off of last season. They reached the top five in like mid-October last year and are a top 10 preseason team with a Heisman favorite at quarterback. And then the Hokies looking to bounce back from a sub-500 season, but they've they've returned one of the most dynamic wide-receiving cores in the country. And let's be honest. The magic of Blacksburg is real. I'm so excited. Fans are back. The environment is going to be absolutely electric. This game is a must-see this week, and it's in my top five games that you have to watch this weekend. And uh, let's get to the keys real quick, man. Uh, let's get to the keys for winning for UNC. And the key is so simple For if you're North Carolina in this game. It's protect Sam Howell and let him do what he do. Uh, that's it. I know it's not proper, but just let him do what he does, man. Let him do what he do. that's, That's just be posted everywhere for the Tar Heels because we know he can lead this team. He's one of the best QBs in the country, and he can carry this team as far as you let him. But one of the problems last year for the Tar Heels was that the offensive line struggled at times to protect Howell, and it cost the Tar Heels in multiple games, especially that Florida State game, In the first half when everything fell apart for North Carolina and coming into the season, they got some guys that have a lot of promise, some guys with starting experience, but it still ranks 12th in the ACC, bottom three. And when you look at the Hokies, though, the biggest weakness is I don't think they they possess a true edge threat. And so that's going to be, one, a matchup to watch, just a little preview. But also, it's going to help the Tar Heels. And if you can just protect Howell enough to give him enough time in the pocket to go do some special things, I think Howell coming off of a back, back-to-back back three, 3,500-yard 3, seasons, 30 touchdowns in each season, and being one of the top candidates for the Heisman Trophy, if you just give him time and protection, he's going to be able to go make some plays. Now, I understand they got to replace Diami Brown and they have to replace Daz Newsom. But look out for these three names Josh Downs, Bo Corrales, and uh Karif Brown. Those three guys are going to be the top three wide receivers, most likely for the Tar Heels. And I think, I think Bo Corrales and uh Josh Downs are gonna be two guys that you're gonna to have to watch. They have some experience but they're mostly unproven guys that haven't been counted on to be wide receiver ones yet. So who's going to emerge and who can go out there and be the go-to target that Sam Howell needs? He needs a guy he can go to in man-to-man coverage that can go out there and get separation and make plays, and he needs that deep threat to take off the top of the defense. So who's going to step into what role and who's going to be his every down guy, who's going to be his deep threat guy, who's going to step into the slot? There's a lot of questions surrounding who's going to step up, but luckily you have one of the best signal callers in the country that can go out there and make some plays for you. And then of course, the reason you lean on Sam Howell is because who's going to start at running back. You have to find a way to replace Michael Carter and Javante Williams. They're one of the two biggest losses in the country. Both of them are on NFL rosters. Javante Williams might take over the starting job for the Broncos. Todd Chandler, Transfer out of Tennessee in which he has over 2,000 career rushing yards. Steps in as running back one. But there's a name I want y'all to remember. Caleb Hood has been a name to watch for all fall camp. He's been balling out all summer workouts. And for me... He's an interesting case because he's a converted quarterback as well. And we saw what UNC did with Chaz, a so rotted right linebacker, converted quarterback. Caleb Hood looks to be the next line of converted position guys who are standing out at their new position. Look for Ty Chandler and Caleb Hood to get some major touches early and really help Sam Howell lead this offense. But it's all on Sam Howell. The key to victory when you have a quarterback like Sam Howell is just let him do what he does. That's it. That, that should be written everywhere. Just let Sam Howell do what he does. And for and for Virginia Tech, it also kind of falls on Braxton Burmeister, but in a different way. Because the thing for Braxton Burme- Burmeister is just don't crash the Ferrari. You have the better wide receiving unit in this matchup. You have one of the best in the ACC. Don't turn the ball over and make sure you're accurate. So if you can get the ball to your playmakers and let them do what they do. And there you go. It's let them do what they do is to quote for both teams, but in different ways. One, UNC has to let Sam Howell do what he does. And Virginia Tech has to let Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson do what they do. And, you know, you look at Turner and Robinson, they've combined for over 2,000 yards receiving over 15 touchdowns in the past few seasons. Both are so dynamic. But for Braxton Burmeister, you can also count on your big tight end and James Mitchell, who was a top-10 graded tight end by Pro Football Focus last year. Burmeister struggled with turnovers, guys, at Oregon. Let's be honest, six interceptions to t- only two touchdowns his fir- freshman season, and he's been seen in limited action. He led Virginia Tech to three big wins early, early last season when um, I believe Hendon Hooker was out with uh, COVID or an injury, something like that. But for me – you, he leaned on Khalil Herbert a lot, who was also off to the NFL. So they have a big spot at running back to also sure up for Virginia Tech. For me, though, Burmeister needs to make sure he keeps the ball out of harm's way. He shows that pocket presence and the command of the offense that you need to see. And also, just make sure you put the ball where your playmakers can go make plays. Get them out in space. Hit them in stride and this Virginia Tech offense can keep up with anyone in the country. This game was one of the highest-scoring games last season. It was so competitive, and I know you know UNC ended up pulling it out, but these teams went back and forth and back and forth, and neither defense had a terrible day last year in this game, and both offenses really showed out. You can, I think you're going to see that matchup again. And the key for Virginia Tech on defense, that you have to get pressure on Sam Howell. Even though he's one of the best quarterbacks under pressure, if you can get to him and get him out of his rhythm, that's the only way you're going to stop him. And also the best way to do that is stop this unproven running game and take advantage of this weak offensive line. If you can't do anything else, you have to take advantage of the one true weakness of UNC, which is the offensive line. Get pressure somehow. I expect Virginia Tech to pin their ears back early and say okay let's see what this offensive line has week one on the road where it's probably going to be loud enough you got to do a silent count the communication is going to be limited this defensive line has to prove that it's being underrated this preseason because if it doesn't show up UNC is going to run away with this game if it shows up Virginia Tech Virginia Tech has the chance to pull one of the biggest week one upsets that we could see and for like the matchup to watch, though, I I had a so many, man, because it's that D the D line and O line for uh the O line for UNC, the D line for Virginia Tech is a huge one. But I I want to pick a matchup that's strength versus strength, guys. And that's the Virginia Tech wide receiving core and tight end core that I just talked about, but also the Tar Heel secondary is no joke. When I look at what Tony Grimes and Storm Duck can do together. I think there's only one other DB duo that can even rival them, and it's Elias Ricks and Derek Stingley down at LSU, who are two five-stars. Derek Stingley might be the best defensive player in college football. Tony Grimes stepped in last year as an early enrollee, and, and when he was should have been playing high school football, found a way to start for the Tar Heels by the end of the season and show great promise late in the year, was one of the highest-graded DBs the last few weeks of the season. And Storm Duck has been a staple on the outside of this defense for multiple years. Now he's going to be the unquestioned leader of that secondary. And so you have two true shutdown corners that can play man to man. They understand their assignments. They can play zone. They have the experience in big games now, and they, they know what it's like to play with expectations, given that UNC was the number five team in the country last year. And for me, it's going to come down to whether this Tar Heels secondary can slow down what Trey Turner, Tavian Robinson, and Braxton Burmeister want to do and or if those guys can go make plays against one of the better secondaries that, will, that I think they'll see all season. You know, UNC's defense has really had a – I guess an evolution from being a pretty weak unit to being one of the stronger units too. And, a, and a, I guess an honorary mention matchup is can this, can this Virginia Tech D O, o line protect Braxton Burmeister? Because I think if you get pre- pressure on Burmeister, you could have a long day for the Hokies and they got some dogs coming in for UNC on that D line. And you got the you got the Desmond Evans, you got the Keyshawn Silvers, you got the Ritzies, and you know, you got the Tamarian Foxes of the world. They have multiple guys who can get to the quarterbacks, and Virginia Tech has to be ready to block that front seven because UNC is going to have some guys who can get pressure if they don't execute. But linebacker replacing Chad Serrat is going to be difficult for UNC. So that also could be a position to watch for the Tar Heels and whether Virginia Tech can find some way to exploit it. But this game's so tricky because when you're like concocting an upset in your head, you're like, okay, a Friday night game, odd day to play a game, perfect, check. Tough road environment to play in, check night game where the fans are going to be rowdy, ready, and going to be there. Check. A team with everything, everything to gain and nothing to lose, just looking to prove that they're still relevant. Got that check. A team coming in with all the pressure, all the expectations, and a, a quarterback that's going to have the pressure on him. Check a team coming in with all the pressure, with some question marks, who lost their two best running backs and two best wide receivers, and arguably their best defensive player in Chaz Check the the cocktail for an upset, the concoction for an upset is there for the Hokies. If I, you know, when we recap this game Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, you know, Sunday night, whenever we drop the recap. I won't be surprised if Virginia Tech wins this game, not even in the slightest. I'll say, man, look, I told you all all the stuff is there. But for me, I'm going to ride with the Tar Heels in a close one. I think this game is going to be neither team, unless it's an early lead that gets closed up late. I think this is a one-score game to the last second. I think it's going to come down to Sam Howell having to make a play late, and or that defense happened to make a big stop late, someone misses a field goal, someone makes a turnover, so someone makes a bad mistake at the end of the game. I have the Tar Heels 38 Virginia Tech 34, a four point win. I don't have the Tar Heels covering that five and a half point spread. I think this game is going to be so competitive. And I, I think all the makings are there for a huge upset in Blacksburg. But I really love what I see out of both of these teams. I think Virginia Tech, in my opinion, is one of the sleepers in the ACC. It should be one of the top teams in their division. But for me, when I'm looking at the quarterback battle, I think Sam Howell is heads is heads above what Braxton Burmeister can do, and the problem is the weakness for UNC is the O-line but I don't know if, you, if Virginia Tech's D-line is capable of exploiting it like they should. When you look at the strength of Virginia Tech, which is their wide receivers, they're going up against the defensive strength of UNC, so maybe they can limit that strength. So for me, due to the matchup differentials where I don't think Virginia Tech's going to be able to execute on the weakness of UNC, but UNC is going to be able to slow down their strength, I like UNC in a close one, 38-34. But guys we have an interesting matchup one that if i told you like some years some years ago that texas and louisiana lafayette matched up in week 1 in austin and it might be one of the best games of the weekend you probably look at me a little weird and on top of that telling you that it's a ranked matchup also might kind of have you looking sideways like are you are you being serious right now because right now number 23 losing at Lafayette the raging Cajuns, headed to Austin Texas to face the 21st ranked Texas Longhorns right now Texas is an 8 point favorite the game kicks off at 3:30 p.m. central time live on Fox um and for me man if you have if you have like a friend who isn't really into college football and they're looking for like an underrated game to watch Make sure they and yourself are tuned in to Austin, Texas this upcoming weekend because this game is going to be amazing, in my opinion. You have so many storylines. You look at the Texas Longhorns making their debut under Steve Sarkeesian, his first game as a head coach since leaving Alabama this offseason, and also... Sam Ellinger's gone. It feels like he's been in Texas for, like, 15 years now. Well, they got a new guy in charge. Hudson Card has been named the starter. Um, Casey Thompson is still expected to see some action, but it's Hudson Card's team, first snap reps for our guy Card. The Raging Cajuns, though, come into this season in which they probably expect to really win the Sun Belt this year. Coastal Carolina will be a big threat but they're looking to start their second straight season with a dominant win over a Big 12 team. Last year, they absolutely dominated Iowa State 31-14 to 14 in Ames, and that Iowa State team ended up going on to almost, almost to win the Big 12 title last year. So this is not a game you can overlook, and I know a lot of average college football fans are, but I know Longhorns fans aren't, and I know Billy Napier – has this Raging Cages fan base absolutely pumped and excited for this game. And personally, I would rank this a top five game this weekend. There's some great games this weekend. I am absolutely pumped for this one. And so I want to start with the keys to Texas winning because I know a lot of channels are really looking at Hudson Card as the key. That's what that's what a lot of channels are going to tell you, a lot of experts, but I disagree here wholeheartedly. The goal here, the key here for Texas is Bajon Robinson in this offensive line. They are going to have to impose their will on the Raging Cages defense. And I'll get into why you know Hudson card isn't my um isn't my X factor or my key for Texas. I'll get to that in the matchups to watch. But for me, Looking at what Bajan Robinson did last year, in which toward the end of the year, he was arguably one of the best running backs in the country at that time. He, he just hit his peak midway through his freshman season, totaled over 900 total yards, six touchdowns. What he needs to do, while this is important for Texas, if he can take the pressure off a card, I personally, what I think is going to happen is, one, Texas can control the clock, two, it's going to ease up that secondary, which is honestly one of the strengths for this Rage and Cajun's team. That secondary returns every starter and every significant contributor that you that they could bring back possibly on that defense. So it's not going to be a light, a light attack or an easy attack for hooked to card in the passing game. The O-line, why this is a key, the O-line for Texas returns a lot of starters. I know Samuel Cosme is off to the NFL, but there are two or three, four guys on this offensive line that I think have major potential. And this is one of the best offensive lines in the Big 12. I believe Pro Football Focus had it ranked third in the conference. What they need to do is impose their will break this defense down and do what a lot of power five versus group of five matchups are in which is close early, but the power five team has the advantage of the trenches and they impose their will and break that team down and toward the end of the game, pull away because usually these teams don't have depth. That's easier. That's easier said than done against this raging cages team, which has more depth and is probably a top five group of five team in the country. But Bajan Robinson has to be the focal point of the offense. You don't want – you came out of this quarterback competition with Hudson Carr almost winning by default, it seemed like. There's still some people, and it seems like there's a lot of the fan base of the Texas Longhorns that think Casey Thompson is still going to see a lot of time. So if you're not fully trusting and not fully invested in what Hudson Card can bring, why would you put your season on the line – with him the first week when you should be able to run the ball effectively. And that's something that, as great as uh, Brees Hall was last year for Iowa State, one of his lowest yardage totals of the season was against this ULL team, and it cost them the game, along with some other stuff. But for me, the O-line and Bajan Robinson have to be the key for Texas to win this game, in my opinion. And now looking at Louisiana Lafayette, what are the keys for them to win? It has to be Levi Lewis. It's his die making. It's his a dynamic playmaking ability. It's his it's his ability to be the focal point of the offense week in and week out. But now he has to carry this offense early as they try to replace some of, two of the best backs in the country last year and Trey Ragas and Elijah Mitchell, who were one of the best one two punches in the country, not just a group of five. And both of them, are, I believe, are still on NFL rosters. Elijah Mitchell got drafted. I believe so did uh, Trey, but. What they have to do is allow Levi Lewis, who's now a fifth-year player, to really come into his own and pick up some of the slack that the wide receiving core running back room are going to have. When you look at what he's done so far, though, thrown for over 6,200 yards, 54 touchdowns while limiting his turnovers to 14, while also rushing for nine touchdowns in over 700 yards – He has to raise his level so he can carry this unproven wide receiving core, which is ranked at the bottom three of the Sun Belt. The Raging Cages need someone to step up. Now, what Lewis can do... Is make plays out the pocket, make some plays with his legs, and put the ball in perfect spots for the wide receivers. That way, they allow their athleticism to take over. You know, you've got Damari overshone on Texas's squad, and this, who's the main safety and probably one of the top safety prospects in the country. But really and truly, I, I don't think there's any game stopping or shutdown cornerbacks that Texas has. It's there for the taking. So what Levi Lewis has to do is make sure he distributes the ball to his playmakers and make sure they he puts them in the best position to succeed. And also Chris Smith is expected to take over that running back one position. If he can't replicate what, what Trey Ragus and Elijah Mitchell brought to the Raging Cajuns last year, then I think this, this game – is going to be a very hard upset win for the raging Cajuns. He's he's averaged over seven yards per carry, but it's really going to come down to the offensive line has to win the battle against the stout Texas defensive line. Because if they can run, if because if they can rush, if they can rush the ball, control the clock, everything like that, then I think losing to Lafayette will be much more efficient and productive on the offensive side of the ball. They struggled on the offensive side of the ball against Iowa State, but were bailed out with a pump return and a kick return touchdown, which really were two of the deciding factors in that game, along with Brock Purdy playing a fairly t- bad game, I would say. For me, though, if Chris Smith and Levi Lewis can't carry this offense, then it's going to be a tough time. I think Texas is going to be able to count on Bijan Robinson to go out there and make some plays for them. The matchup to watch, though, in my opinion, is the Texas wide receivers. You know, there's a few that are great. Jo- Joshua Moore, I think, is one of the potential breakout players in the Big 12. That group of wide receivers with Moore against the Louisiana Lafayette secondary, who, like I said, returns every significant piece on the back end of their defense. Joshua Moore is the top wide receiver, but outside of that, Core, they're mostly unproven. I'm not going to say untalented or weak. I'm just going to say unproven. They haven't proved it on the biggest stage. Xavier Worthy, Jordy Whittington, and Marcus Washington are some guys that I think have the talent to be productive wide receivers in this Longhorns offense. Steve Sarkeesian, this is his biggest test, guys. Everyone said his offense is amazing, this and that, but there are some critics out there who says it was the talent he had at Bama. We're going to find out this year which it was because this Texas wide receiving core is not Devontae Smith, not John Mechie, not Billingsley, not Nachi Harris. This offense, he has to John Robinson, who I think is a great running back, but the wide receiving core does not have that Devontae Smith or John Mechie. But they do have some athletic guys who I just think have not been put in positions to succeed. So I want to see what those j- names I just named can do on this big stage when you look at the ULL secondary, it's headlined by Braylon Trahan and Makai Gardner. Those two guys were cornerstone to this pass defense that was a top 10 pass defense in the country last year, guys. So this cage team is no scrub. They were also top five in EPA per pass last season. So they were one of the most efficient units in the country in stopping the pass. The raging cages are going to come in. Billy Napier is one of the best coaches in the country. This is not going to be a sleepwalk game for Texas. Now, this was this is probably out of all the games this weekend, I would say a top 3 game in terms of upset potential for for in the country for Texas. You have to come out and play a good game. If Texas comes out and Hudson Card stutters, Steve Sarkeesian's play calling is off. You have turnovers. You don't execute on the offensive line. But John Robinson can't get going. And you allow Levi Lewis to make plays outside the pocket. And you allow Chris Smith to get going. Louisiana Lafayette will absolutely win the, win the game if that happens. Now, I'm going to go with Texas 24-21 in Austin. I think this is going to come down to like a last-second field goal possibly or just like a one-last scoring drive where Texas takes the lead late and it's too late for losing Lafayette to make a play. I'm predicting a very back-and-forth game. I'm predicting a defensive-focused game, low-scoring, competitive, physical, and I think Texas is going to be in for a dogfight. But for me, I think Bajan Robinson is probably going to be the MVP for Texas. I think he's going to have a big day on the ground. I think Steve Sarkeesian understands you can't just throw Hudson Carter to the Wolves, especially with such a... Such an experienced and dynamic secondary who was who oh, I believe that secondary led the Sun Belt in interceptions. Got multiple guys from multiple interceptions last year. So you just can't throw your young quarterback who's only thrown three passes to the Wolves. So I expect a heavy dose of power runs and Bajon, a heavy dose of Bajon Robinson all weekend. I think Texas is able to shorten up this game. Make just enough plays to avoid the upset, to avoid the upset, and squeak out with the week one win. And they have to get ready for Arkansas next week, who I also think is a very, very difficult game for the Longhorns. But as this game has so much upset potential. I was like this close to picking Louisiana Lafayette, but Bajan Robinson is my X factor that convinced me otherwise. So, guys, I'm so pumped for this game. Yeah, I want to shout out. I've been critical of the Big Ten, you know, for their handling of some stuff last year and some other things, but the one thing the Big Ten has done such an excellent job of is putting huge conference games, putting meaningful games in week zero and week one matchups. I mean, you had Nebraska, Illinois, you got Ohio State, Minnesota Thursday, and now you got number 19 Penn State traveling to go face number 12, Wisconsin. Right now, the Badgers are five-and-a-half-point favorites, and this kicks off 11 a.m. Central on Fox. But the storylines are abundant in this matchup, I would say, abundant on all counts on both teams. When you look at the Nittany Lions and James Franklin trying to bounce back from a sub-500 season, that's – I mean, in one in which the Nittany Lions lost – I believe five straight opening games and they won their final four. So they had a five game losing streak followed up by a four game winning streak. So which Penn state team are we going to see this year? But they, they returned Sean Clifford at quarterback. They return a, they have a very talented running back room and the defensive side of the ball is always stout up there um, in happy Valley. But you look at the Badgers as well. They're, Four-and-three season, they opened up as one of the hottest teams in the country with a huge win at uh, over Illinois, a dominant blowout win in the big house in which Graham Mertz looked like a Hosman candidate. And then once COVID kind of took over this team, took over the season for the Badgers, everything really fell apart for them. So both teams are looking to rebound from seasons that fell, I guess, way below expectations in 2020. And so for the keys to victory, though, for Penn State for me, it begins with the running game. The running back room was one of the best in the Big Ten, maybe one of the strongest in the country in terms of depth. But the reason it's so important is because, yes, Sean Clifford returns again. But a lot of people are questioning whether he can lead this team to a Big Ten championship or in contention for a Big Ten championship. And right now, the wide receiving core outside of maybe Jahan Dotson is mostly unproven. I wouldn't call it weak or, un- or anything like that, just unproven. They have a lot of talented guys that just haven't produced on this level yet. So that's a big unknown for them. But the running back room has two guys who have produced on the biggest level. You look at Noah Kane, you look at John Lovett. Um, they both step into the lead running back role. I think they're going to be a, one of the best one-two punches in the country. But both of them are have a lot to prove coming off of 2020 seasons that were plagued by injury. Noah Kane missed the entire season outside of like three, like what, a possession. And then Lovett struggled with injuries all year out of Baylor But you look at Kane, rushed for 400 yards, eight touchdowns in his freshman season. It was was one of the hottest running backs in the country as that season came to a close, capped off by a great performance in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. And then Lovett has rushed for almost 2,000 yards, over 17 touchdowns in his four seasons at Baylor, even though one of those seasons last year was really limited by injury. But the thing about Love It is he's so explosive. And I, in 2019, this is a stat I'm sure a lot of people weren't weren't aware of. He ranked second in the entire country for running backs in explosive runs. He had 23 runs over over 10 or more yards on only 101 carries. That's an outstanding rate. That's an outstanding performance by a very very talented running back. And I think Penn State has a better front than Baylor did that season. And so he has so much potential. Noah Kane, Lovett are going to be guys you guys are going to want to know coming into this game. And Penn State is going to have to run the ball if they expect to win this game. And I already mentioned the wide receiving room is pretty unproven. Jahan Dotson is going to be there. But I don't think Clifford and Dotson are going to be able to carry Penn State in a very tough game like this without the help of Noah Cain and love it and, and the run game. Now, the goal is pretty much the same. The key is pretty much the same for Wisconsin to a point. Because I'll, I'll start with why I say to a point. Graham Mertz showed in the first two games last season why you know why he was such a highly rated career. I believe he was the third ranked like pro style quarterback in the country. But if the Mertz that showed up in the final five games of last season shows up. Wisconsin is not going to have a chance to honestly compete for anything in this in this conference. You look at Mertz in the first two games, almost 400 yards passing, seven passing touchdowns, no turnovers. That was against Illinois and Michigan. But in the last five games, and I, I know Wisconsin fans are going to be in the comments, so I'll mention it. There was a rumor he injured his shoulder, COVID issues. There, there was like a whole lot going on. With Mert. So the last five games might have been a fluke, but you have to recognize that, that he threw for under 200 yards in three of those games and had two touchdowns to five interceptions, including three against Northwestern in a crucial battle for that division last year, which probably separated, you know, Northwestern going to Indianapolis and Wisconsin not. And then, you know, looking for Mertz, they have three very se- they have three senior targets in the receiving game. You look at, you know, Jake Ferguson at tight end, rated one of the best tight ends of the country last season. Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis the third are gonna be counted on to be the senior leaders of the wide receiver unit. And they're going to have to live up to their potential to let Mertz kind of reach his. Because if Mertz doesn't have anyone to throw to, which was the case at times last year in big games, then really and truly Wisconsin's potential is limited. But I also want to give you all two names that I think could be breakout players there. Chamiri Dyke and Jack Dunn are two guys that, you know, maybe not won't be on that first page of the depth chart, but are right there is like wide receiver twos at their position that, honestly, I think you could hear about this weekend. And if they have an explosive performance in the coming games, could be some household names for this team late in the year. And the reason I say the run game is because last year, Wisconsin had took a large step back. Losing Jonathan Taylor, which he's been eating in the NFL, really hurt this team. I don't think people realized how, you know, everyone says they had that long line of running backs that are so talented and they, it's just plug and replace. Well, John, losing Jonathan Taylor wasn't just a plug and replace thing for Wisconsin. They really struggled at times to consistently run the ball. And if that's the case this year, I think that that is also a huge question mark. You look at Ches Malusi, who is, who is named on the depth chart as RB1. I really think Jalen Berger. I thought it was going to be RB1 back in the spring, so I'm very interested to see how they split snaps. I think Berger is probably a little bit more explosive, um, younger. But those two guys are going to have to be a one-two punch to be reckoned with for Wisconsin to really make an impact in this game because, for me – I don't think either of these teams want to just throw it all on their quarterback in their wide receiving room. Both of these teams want to establish the run, so the team who establishes the run gets a huge advantage for me. But right now, when you're looking at the running back room, I think Penn State wins that battle in terms of running back room talent, but Wisconsin wins the battle on the O-line. So it's going to be very interesting to see who gets that key to victory. And for me, with the matchups to watch – I think this is an easy one because it's clearly the strategy for both teams is to run the ball. But for me, the Penn State defensive line is so strong, and the Wisconsin offensive line is one of the best in the conference. For me, that's the matchup to watch because I personally think Penn State's defensive line is still loaded. I mean, I know Jason um, Awe and Shaka Tony are both off to the NFL. Awe was a first-round pick. But Derek Tangelo, Arnold, a beat, uh, I think it's a beat, a beat tie, and then Nick uh, Taburton will are probably going to ease the pain of those two losses. All three of those guys graded out as one of the best defense, uh, some of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten. They're going to be key in stopping this run game, and also they have to get pressure on Mertz. I think I would rank Mertz a little bit higher than Clifford but if you get two merts that pressure really disrupt, disrupted him last year so they're going to have to rush the passer as well and so this is why I picked this matchup is because if if Penn State can establish a consistent pass rush and limit the run I think Wisconsin is going to have their hands tied on the offensive side of the ball and it's going to make this game much more winnable for Penn State and when you look at the O-line for Wisconsin, they had three O-linemen headlined by Josh Scheltzner, Logan Bruss, and Tyler Beach, who are all, all some of the best Big Ten offensive linemen of the country. A question mark, are right guard and center, Jack Nelson and Joe Tippman step into those spots. Um, but they're highly recruited guys, loads of potential. Whoever can establish the line of scrimmage will win this game, in my opinion. Both teams are going to have to run the ball. Penn State's D-line is going to have to prove all the hype behind them is for real, and they've done it over the past few years. But well, Wisconsin has been like O-line U where they just plug and replace, and so it's going to see who can establish their will, who can take control and, and make this game their game. Both these teams are going to, probably going to pound it out this weekend. I think the backs at Penn State are a little bit more explosive, so that's another thing to watch. But when I look at that, I still think Graham Mertz is a slightly better quarterback than Sean Clifford. I think this is going to be a very close game. And listen, I I would not be surprised if I jump back on here um, Monday or Sunday night whenever we drop the recap and Penn State wins this game. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to come down to the last possession. I I have an odd score, but I think it's going to come down to something like this. I have Wisconsin winning this game 21-20 to 20 over Penn State. I think they're just going to make one more play. I think if you shut down Wisconsin's run game, Graham Mertz has a better chance of getting the passing game going like we saw early in the season last year than Sean Clifford. I still think the X factor is Penn State's D-line because I, I, I'm, if they can get pressure on Graham Mertz, Wisconsin's in trouble because I don't know if you can trust Berger and this running back room for Wisconsin to consistently run the ball because they really struggled against elite D-line the elite D-lines last year to do that. So for me, I think Wisconsin squeaks it out and I think they get a 21-20 win over Penn State. But guys, we're kicking it off with number one Alabama facing the number 14 Miami Hurricanes and and one of the biggest matchups of the week. But, I mean, as you can tell in the bottom, as we're recording, the spread is Alabama 19-and-a-half. 19-and-a-half point favorites for the Crimson Tide. This game kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. And for me, this matchup is huge in terms of storylines because we're going to get a lot, of, a lot of questions answered about, One, Alabama, who's the odds-on favorites right now to repeat as SEC champions, one of the best teams in the country. And then also Miami, who is right there with North Carolina, is probably the top competition for Clemson in the ACC. So we're getting answers to two huge, competitive, important teams in the landscape of college football. And for the Crimson Tide, let's be honest, it, it boils down to Nick Saban trying to continue and expand and Grow the most impressive dynasty that college football has ever seen and might ever see. And for me, the biggest storyline is Bryce Young taking over that QB one spot and all the new weapons around him that must step up, given the, I guess, the exodus of absolute talent at wide receiver that has left over these past two years. They got some great guys returning. We'll get into all that soon. And for the Miami Hurricanes, they're going to be led by one of the best and most experienced quarterbacks in the country, Derek King, coming off a horrible, uh, I believe it was an ACL tear in the bowl game against Oklahoma State. But the defensive, you know, the defense has a few question marks, but they return eighteen of twenty-one starters from last year, and Manny Diaz is looking to start the season with one of the biggest potential upsets in college football in Atlanta. And you know, I want to start with the keys for Alabama. For me, it's so simple when you look at what the key for Alabama is, because the literal key is just keeping things simple for Bryce Young. He doesn't have to play outside himself. He doesn't have to play outside the offense. This is Bill O'Brien's first game calling the plays, running the offense, since Steve Sarkeesian went down to Austin, Texas. But for me, the key is keep it simple, protect him with one of the best offensive lines of the country, and let him just distribute the ball to the playmakers – outside in space on this offense when you look at young i know he's the highest rated quarterback alabama's ever signed he was the number one player for 247 in the country the number two player in the composite it was the max preps player of the year or co-player of the year because i believe dj split it with him, quarterback over at clemson but when you look at what he did In high school out there in California, over 13,000 yards passing, 152 passing touchdowns with 26 rushing touchdowns and only 21 turnovers, only 21 picks in four years out there in California. And yes, he can be special. He can do special things. But in such a big game in your first ever start, I think Alabama, Nick Saban, Bill O'Brien are going to keep it simple and let him play within the offense until he gets his rhythm going. And then I think you're going to see Alabama unleash him later in the season. But the reason I say keep it simple is you're surrounded by one of the best offensive lines in of the country, and you have a loaded wide receiving room still in the running back room with Brian Robinson, Jace McClellan, and the the I guess there's probably like four backs that would probably be RB1 just about anywhere in the country. Why would you risk, you know, kind of getting his confidence down, putting him, feeding him to the wolves per se in his first ever start. When he, As much as Alabama has lost talent four first rounders out of that wide receiving room over the, over the past two seasons, they still return John Mechie who played huge, played big time football after Jalen Waddell went down last year with his ankle injury. And then also this is a, this is an addition that I think is going to play the biggest role. One of the biggest roles this year but wasn't really talked enough about the media. And that's the addition of Jameson Williams from Ohio State to the wide receiving room of Alabama. He's an immediate deep threat guy. And him and Mechie, I think, are going to combine to be one of the scarier wide receiving duos in the country. And let's not forget what Aggie Hall did in spring camp in that spring game where he was just making plays in one-on-one coverage, adjusting to the ball well, showed how athletic he could really be. And JoJo Earl is another name I want you guys to watch because he reminds me of like this weird mix of Rondell Moore and Jalen Waddle combined. And I think he could be huge coming in the slot position for this Alabama offense. And really, he's going to have a lot of opportunities if he can find his way to the field. Because Aggie Hall, John Mechie, um, Jamison Williams, all those guys are going to have defenders' eyes. And so I think Earl's going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities. And he's just so fast, so shifty, and so athletic. And I think he's going to be able to find some open space and make some plays. And I can see him having a breakout freshman season, kind of like we saw Rondell Moore at Purdue two years ago, have that great game against Ohio State. And I know the O-line had to replace some pieces, especially you know Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson. But for me, there are some players with experience and others who are just so highly rated that it's still going to be a really good offensive line. Evan Neal at offensive tackle is probably going to be one of the top offensive linemen drafted next year. And then Javon Cohen, Chris Owens, who played outstanding at center in the college football playoffs after Dickerson went down. Emil Ikor and Kendall Randolph are the other guys who got starts, but I don't I don't want y'all I want y'all to remember these two names, JC Lath- um, Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer. Both of those guys are five-star prospects. I think you could see them rotate in and out if the offensive line struggles early, which I don't think it will. And then Tommy Brown, a senior four-star recruit who's been around the program, been a backup for the longest, has got some in-game experience, could be another guy to watch in terms of that second, I guess, unit for the offensive line, some rotational guys in case of injury and or bad performance. For me, the game plan is so simple for Bama limit the pressure on Young, let him play within himself, and there will be plenty enough opportunities for the Crimson Tide to win this game, especially with the defense that the Crimson Tide is going to put on the field. Bryce Young doesn't have to go out there and throw for 500 yards. Get keep, Don't turn the ball over. Get the ball to your playmakers and just be consistent. That's all you have to do, and Alabama is going to be fine. Now on the other side of the on this other side of the game, the keys for the Hurricanes are a little bit more complicated. It, for me, the key is to limit turnovers and pro- protect De'Aaron King. The things that I saw with Miami last year they were so great on like in like ninety two percent of the season last year, but when they played elite defenses or good defenses this offensive line struggled and this offense really stuttered and it cost them some games and they, you know, they even escaped some games that they probably shouldn't have won based on that offense. And especially that Clemson game last year, that was one of the worst offensive performances I think I have seen in a long time. You know, you look at the two best defenses he faced last year, statistically it was Clemson and Pitt. Those were the two defenses and he faced them back to back, which was even worse and at Clemson. Only completed forty-two percent of his passes for one twenty-one and two picks, no touchdowns. At Pitt, he's still only completed fifty percent of his passes for two hundred yards, had two picks, but he did have four touchdowns. But the key here for the offensive line in these games are they allowed four sacks each time, so they allowed eight total sacks against these two defensive lines. And given Pitt had, I believe, two defensive linemen drafted, Clemson has arguably the best defense line in the country with, you know, Brian Barisi, Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis, all those guys over there. King has to play better, though, because this Alabama defense, for me, might be the best overall unit in the country. And They remind me of that 2011 Crimson Tide defense that was the last defense to allow under double-digit points a game. They allowed like eight points a game or something like that. When you have a defensive mind like Saban, who is going to be in the defensive coordinator's ear, who's going to be able to pull up a good scheme, you're going to have to play one of your best games. And if you go out there and play like you did against Clemson, like you did at times against Pitt, even UNC at times, it's going to be a problem. And I'm going to flip it for a positive note for you Miami fans tuning in. I don't want to be all doom and gloom or anything like that. King is the perfect quarterback, though, to face Saban. He is a dual-threat guy that can make plays with his legs and also make those outside the pocket. It's just, I don't have any questions about whether De'Aaron King can live up to the hype in this game. The offensive line, though, is where I'm just concerned. And it's been a weak point for the Hurricanes for multiple seasons. And, guys, I'm not just making this up. They allowed 26 sacks in only 11 games last year, which was a huge improvement. But the year before, they allowed 51 sacks in one season in 2019. 51 sacks. So in the past two years, they've allowed 77 sacks. That just cannot happen. They're going to have to be more consistent. They do return a lot. Navon Donaldson at the OT spot is probably their top um, their top offensive lineman. They got some really good promising pieces. They just have to put a whole season together. I also like uh, Jalen Rivers on at the offensive guard spot. The offensive line has the experience. They have the, they have the chemistry now. They just have to put it together and show me they can hold up against a defensive line like Alabama's going to put up. If Bama consistently gets pressure on King, this game's out of hand quickly. And for me, that's what's going to separate and really determine whether my, if Miami is going to be, you know, a top 20 team all year or they're really going to be a contender for the college football playoff, be one of those top 10 teams. And for the matchup to watch, um, you know, the easy way to put it would be the O-line of Miami versus this D-line of Alabama, but it's more the running game of Miami versus the front seven of Alabama. Cameron Harris returns at running back. Don Chaney Jr., Jalen Knighton are going to be the rotation of the guys behind him, according to the depth chart Miami released this week. Harris flashed so much potential last year, guys especially with his back-to-back 130-yard performances early in the season, UAB Louisville dominated. But then after those first two weeks, Harris never reached 100 yards last season again. He's got to be better. He had horrible performances against the best defense of the best defenses, even some against defenses that weren't that good. Three yards on eight carries versus Clemson. 12 carries for 24 yards against Pitt eight yards on eight carries against UVA, Virginia, who I don't even think is in the same stratosphere as what you're going to see this weekend at Alabama. If Harris can't effectively run the ball this weekend, the upset potential of this game greatly decreases for me because Bama, if they stop the run, the secondary is too good and they're going to scheme up something. They're going to be firing after De'Aaron King. They're going to be able to make plays on the back end of that defense. Malachi Moore is a playmaker. Jordan Battles a playmaker. You look at what they have with Josh Job on the outside as well. I think Kool-Aid, McKinstry is going to get some time as well, especially possibly at the slot. These guys are ballers, and if you go back there and you allow Alabama to make you one-dimensional – it's going to be the same old story, same old Bama opening game where it's a blowout. So Knighton and Cheney and Harris are gonna to have to combine one of the one, two, or all three of them are going to have to have big games or combine to have a huge game. If you look at the the history of Bama upsets, you have to rush for a hundred yards. You have to run the ball. Clyde Edwards Hilaire has success running the ball. You look at Auburn in 2019, even though Tua was out. They were able to run the ball at times. You look at, you know, Ole Miss, they were able to do some things on the ground. You look at what, 2017 Auburn, that Carry on Johnson was able to run the ball. You have to run the ball, and your quarterback has to be a playmaker that avoids mistakes. If DeArt King goes out here and turns the ball over and they can't run the ball, Bama by 50. But for me, it's all about this offensive line Knighton, Harris, and Derek King. Can they go out there and make plays? You look at this Alabama D line. D.J. Dell, Brian Young, Phil Mathis are some of the best the best defensive linemen, especially interior guys in the country. They've even got their edge guys who are specialized pass rushers, but like Christopher Allen and Will Anderson can still be factors in the run game. For me, it comes down, if Miami cannot run the ball and their offense is inefficient again, this isn't even a close game. I do think Miami is going to be able to keep this close early. Just right now, for me, I think Alabama's too strong on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's some turnovers made, some turnovers forced, and right now I just think Alabama is better than Miami, top to bottom. I don't, I don't see, I, I don't know. Twenty points is a lot. I don't think they cover that spread, but right now I have Alabama forty-one, Miami twenty-four. That is my official prediction. Alabama forty-one. Miami 24, I can see it being close early. I just think Alabama is too deep right now, and I just think they got too much talent, especially in that front seven where they're going to be able to get to derrick King. They're going to be able to slow down the running attack. And for me, Miami does not have the playmakers at wide receiver and the offensive line to really hold up and get into one of these shootouts. So 41-24. Alabama this weekend, man. So we got the biggest game of the weekend. I mean, anytime you have a top five matchup on a neutral site game between two teams that have realistic shots at a national title, I'm counting it as the biggest game of the weekend, especially when it's Georgia-Clemson men. Number five, Georgia. Number three, Clemson. Charlotte, North Carolina, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC and as you can tell in the bottom, Clemson, right this second as we're recording, is a three-point favorite over the Bulldogs, which is not a huge not a huge spread, which means I think many people think this game could go either way. And I was looking at some of the predictions that a lot of ex- experts are making on this game, and – it's a toss up. They were, I think the athletic, their four riders all split it 50 50. CBS had a bunch of people pick Georgia, some pick Clemson. Greg McElroy on ESPN picked pick Georgia to pull the upsets. I mean, Picks are everywhere, so I'm going to break it down here for you guys at the end. I'm going to give my official prediction, but if you're new here, man, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Join the Blue Bloods, man, and go check out all our other week one previews. I appreciate the support, man. Love to have you all here as we preview this entire season. So, you know, the storylines are pretty Big, I would have to say. You know, you got Clemson, six straight ACC championships looking to extend that this year. And then also... They're reloaded and primed for another run. They have to replace Travis at the end. DJ steps in for Trevor officially. Justin Ross is back. The defense is crazy. Somehow they kept Tony Elliott and Brent Venables, even though they were the top candidates for every head coaching job in the country. And so Clemson's ready. Like they're locked and loaded for another big run, especially, you know, with that sour taste in their mouth after what Ohio state did to them in the sugar bowl. And on the other side, we have one of the most interesting teams, I think, in 2021 in the Georgia Bulldogs. They come in as one of the hottest teams, a lot of people's dark horse for the championship, due to JT Daniels at quarterback, and how well he had this team rolling and how well he was playing late in the season. And for me also, there was like this segment of Georgia fans that you know I was listening. I went on like two, four, seven, and I was listening to some other Georgia shows. There's some, really a group of people out there that are questioning whether Kirby Smart's the guy for the job. And keep comparing him to Mark Rick, which I think is the dumbest comparison of all time. Kirby Smart is the guy for Georgia. And I think this year he could, he's, he might show the country if that team can stay healthy, man. The injury bug bites someone every year. And apparently this year is Georgia. But Kirby Smart has the team to do it this year. I'm excited to see what the Bulldogs pull out this year. And They're motivated and ready, to, especially because I know they wish JT Daniels could have started probably the Bama and the Florida game because those games could have went much differently down the stretch. But let's get right into the keys for the keys for Georgia here. And for me, I feel like it's pretty simple, but it's like a twofold key. So one, the first part of it is you have to establish the rushing game. And secondly, which is tied to that and why the rushing game is important, is you have to have some targets at wide receiver emerge and have big days this weekend because the wide receiving core was decimated by injuries. I mean, you look at George Pickens tearing his ACL in spring, Eric Gilbert out with mental health issues, Dominic Blaylock having his second ACL tear in eight months, then Darnell Washington having a foot injury out of nowhere will be back early but according to all reports as we're recording he is very doubtful for this game week one that's four of your I guess highest rated and most productive receiving targets so now it leaves the Bulldogs with a major question at the wide receiver spot and it's really due to inexperience they have talent guys the talent is there for their Bulldogs at wide res- at the wide receiver spot, but it's question marks about their production and can they be the go-to wide receiver one um, you know, that the Bulldogs need? Because you saw this kind of happen in Jake Fromm's last year where Kager was really the only top target and they had some wide receivers go out with injury and the offense really sputtered down the stretch. You look at a Karis Jackson. He showed a lot of promise, especially in the Auburn game, dominated that game at times, but faded down the stretch of the season and really kind of fell out of that – wide receiver one roll. Jermaine Burton also super talented only had one game over 40 yards even though he dominated the Mississippi State game in that one game so all these guys have flash potential it's just can they do it this weekend and can they do it throughout the season until some of these you know injured players come back and you know hopefully uh, you know Eric Gilbert can get back from the Bulldogs as well you look at Jackson Burton Marcus Rosemary Saint is also a guy I would watch, and Adonai and Adane Mitchell, as well as a redshirt freshman. Those two guys could be someone you could see used in certain packages, certain scenarios. So all those guys, someone, really two of these guys, have to step up and give JT Daniels that surefire, reliable option, especially when you're going up against a very experienced secondary for Clemson, which there's a lot of talent. Brent Venables is one of the best schemers in the country. You have to be ready to play if you're the Bulldogs. And that's why the key for me is the running game. And it it's really the running game because Georgia is, ha- in my opinion, and I, and I think Pro Football Focus as well has this, and there was a few other, um, I guess, outlets that had this. The Bulldogs probably have the best online in the SEC. And I know they're missing some pieces from last year, but they have so much talent throughout that offensive line. And they got this they got some seniors returning. We'll break it down in my matchups to watch. But you look at the running back room though, and for me, I think it's the deepest in the SEC. I think you have three to four running backs for the Georgia Bulldogs that can be game changers if they're given opportunities. You look at Zamir White, you look at James Cook, Kendall Milton. All three of those guys could be RB1 any given week, any given scheme, any given matchup. But it's going to offer a unique challenge for Clemson because the main thing with Clemson is they're so deep on the D-line, they can rotate players in and out and stay very fresh. Well, Georgia can counteract that by offering a fresh running back. And so, therefore, they can counter that. They can counter the fatigue that Clemson uses in some opponents that aren't as deep with putting in a fresh running back and be able to rotate guys into certain packages and situations. And that's what's going to really make this Georgia offense very hard to beat. When I look at the when I look at the run game, you want to establish the run game because you don't want Clemson to make you one dimensional, and then J T Daniels has to go out there and try to start forcing stuff the bunch of receivers that haven't proved they can come they can come they can come for you in the clutch they can they can make the plays happen in the clutch and so I don't think you want to put it all on JT Daniels and a bunch of unproven wide receivers you want to establish the run get some confidence going get some easy stuff through the air some 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 short passes intermediate passes get the wide receiver's confidence up, and then as you get into the second half, you can kind of open up the playbook. So the running game being established in the first half for me is really the main key for Georgia. Now for Clemson, though, i hardly ever say this, but for me, the key really is to take advantage of the secondary of Georgia. And I'm not saying the secondary is weak per se. It's just the front seven of Georgia is so stout if there is a weakness, it's the inexperience in the secondary, especially giving Tyke Smith's absence this week in ter- where he had a foot injury. I believe the exact same foot injury as Darnell Washington. So he's out. He was he was going to be their best cornerback in my their best DB in my opinion. He was going to play the star position. Transfer from West Virginia had one of the highest coverage grades in the country last year as a playmaker. Had all the experience. He was the number one transfer commit in the entire country. Like he was supposed to be the impact guy. Well, he's out, and it couldn't come at a worse time for the Bulldogs. When I look at the wide receiving core for Clemson. Loaded, probably the best in the ACC, one of the best in the country. And for me, you don't want to leverage a new running back, an unproven running back, since you lost at the end. As good as your offensive line is for Clemson, you don't want to put the running back in that scenario because those Georgia linebackers and defensive linemen are dogs, literally. No, no pun intended. They, they are one of the best. They have probably, I would say, maybe the best front seven in the SEC. I mean, that's how good that front seven is. you got the Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, Adam, I mean, Adam Anderson, all those guys are ballers on that front, on the front defensive line. So I don't think you're going to be able to just run as freely as you think. So what you need to do is take your strength, which is wide receiver and quarterback with DJ and go ahead and try to take the top off this defense, go ahead and challenge those young inexperienced corners to go out there and make plays So, I mean, you look at the wide receiving core, they get Justin Ross back after missing the entire season uh, last year due to injury, Joseph Ngata, Will Sweeney as well. And don't forget these names, Frank Ladson and EJ Williams. Those two guys are going to be factors. I think I like EJ Williams a lot high school teammates with Justin Ross. So they have that, they have that connection going all the way back to high school. And then also Braden Galloway at the tight end spot could be someone to watch as well. And since you got Tyke Smith missing, Latavius Briney is going to step into that star role. Dan Lanning is going to have to figure out something. Dan Lanning and Kirby Smart are going to have to figure out something big here. Louis Kahn is on the back end of that defense still. But the two impact players in this matchup this key for Clemson, Keeley Ringo and Amir Speed. You know, they were listed as an or at that second corner spot. Uh, De'Ari Kidrick is going to have a chance to get his revenge. He's going to be one of the, cor- the, the corner starters for them. But is Ringo or Speed going to establish themselves at that other corner? I would imagine. They're going to try to get one of these guys, whoever's the starter, into a bad matchup, spread this defense out, and really test these young, experienced corners and see what they have. Amir Spee's not young, but he's inexperienced. He hasn't had a lot of defensive snaps, been a, mostly a special teams guy. But as we reported in our fall camp update, he has been balling in fall camp, according to everything Dogs247 has been saying. I would imagine Ringo gets the start. They're going to challenge him. Ringo's a five-star, highly rated kid. I think is going to say, well, what what do you have early? Are you ready for this moment? And if not, and mere speed moves to the slot, I think they can go after him too. So Keeley, Ringo, and mere speed are the two X factors in terms of this key matchup here for Clemson. And for me, I think the Tigers have to push the ball down the field and keep the Bulldogs honest because – they're not going to have to load the box to stop the run. But what you need to do is make them drop an extra guy or two back into coverage because you're beating them deep. You're getting good intermediate routes. You're just kind of dinking and ducking them down the field. And what that's going to do is free the box to maybe bust a few runs late in the game. You're going to have to run the ball. But with with, with inexperience and unproven people at running back, I think the Tigers have to establish the passing game to open up the running game, which is backwards for most matchups. But given the one weakness on this Georgia team is possibly the secondary on defense, you have to take advantage of with this amazing wide receiving core you have and DJ who proved last year he can go out there and throw the ball all over the yard if needed. You have to utilize your advantage, let your playmakers go make plays and try to play to your strengths. And that is why I would say the passing game to take advantage of the secondary is a huge key for Clemson in this game. And for my matchup to watch, I would say it's the Georgia offensive line versus the Clemson D-line. The goal for Georgia is to establish the running game, like I said. And against Clemson, it's going to be very, very tough. When you look at the front seven for Clemson, I think it probably is the best in the country. And to be tasked with stopping a power run game, which we see with some of these backs that Georgia has, they better bring their lunch pails. Brian Barisi, Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas, KJ, Henry, Tyler Davis, who may be out with COVID. We don't know yet. um, As I'm recording, I didn't get the results, but there's a rumor that he could miss this weekend with COVID. So that is a storyline to watch. But all those guys can be impact players on the defensive front for for the Tigers. But at linebacker, James Skakowski and – and you also got Trenton Simpson there. You got some ballers on that second level of the defense. Trenton Simpson, just like Keeley Ringo and Amir Speed, were my X factors for Georgia. I think Trenton Simpson is the X factor for Clemson. I think he could. St- he's fast enough. He's fast enough and athletic enough to kind of step into the role Mike Jones Jr. left. And also, he's stout in the run game. He's so fast that he can chase down these running backs and make plays. Remember, he was a two-way player coming out of North Carolina, which he was a highly recruited running back as well. Trenton Simpson is the real deal, and I think he's really the key right now for, for Clemson stopping this Georgia run game. And with Georgia's offense line, I already mentioned they were ranked number one by a lot of people. You look at Jamari Sawyer and Justin Schaefer are the two senior leaders but the two P- X factors on this O-line in terms of this matchup to watch are, are uh, C- Cedric Van Pran and Tate Ratledge. Those two guys are redshirt freshmen, really making their first appearance on this offensive line as full-time starters. They're going to have that Brian Barisi matchup, that Tyler Davis matchup, potentially. you got to prove – that all those recruiting rankings are right, you got to prove you're ready for this moment because if you allow this Clemson defensive line, one, to stop the run, and two, all those guys are also pass rushers, get into JT Daniels' face, it could be a long day for this Georgia offense. So they have to be stout, and those are my two guys. And for me, looking at this matchup, The team who wins the line of scrimmage in this game is going to have a huge advantage. It's the strength of the team versus the strength of a team. I think you're going to see some NFL matchups when you look at this matchup to watch, and I think it's really going to go a long way in determining who actually wins this game in Charlotte this weekend. So for my official prediction, man, you know, I don't predict push as much in terms of spread, but I really think it's going to be a close game. I can – Absolutely see this going anyway, and I'm going to have full transparency here. I, I think I said it on one of our previews going into the season. If Georgia was healthy, if you get Tyke Smith, George Pickens, Eric Gilbert, you get Darnell Watch, you get all those guys back, I, I was going to pick Georgia. Absolutely. I think Georgia would win if they are fully healthy. I think the losses of Tyke Smith for one – George Pickens and Darnell Washington, they are too much to overcome in the long run. I think Georgia still makes this competitive. I can see this being a game-winning field goal situation or a last second drive situation. This game is not going to be a blowout either way. I'd be shocked if I if I ever saw this game over seven points toward the end of the game. I have Clemson. Pulling out a low scoring battle 23 to 20. I uh, have close to 23 20. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I know some people are predicting like a shootout. I think these defenses are too good. I think Kirby Smart versus Brent Venables is going to be such a great coaching matchup to watch you got DJ, who's still young, only two games under his belt, and you have a Georgia offense that has a lot of holes at wide receiver. I just can't see how this gets into a shootout with how strong these defensive fronts are. Both teams are going to struggle to run the ball because of how good the front sevens are. For me, it's just going to come down to I think Clemson has more weapons and Georgia's secondary is a little bit weaker, so I think they're going to make just enough plays to win. Clemson 23, Georgia 20. Guys, I appreciate you all tuning in. But guys, for the Blue Bloods, we are out right now.